podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Amen. You can be seated. Would you give our team a hand this morning? Thank you very much. Just take a moment to compose myself. That song, I asked for that, for the team to sing that song. It feeds right into what I want to talk about today, and uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Well, hello, everyone. Nice to see you in the school cafeteria. Is that even the Australian term, canteen? I do want to thank you for being so flexible these last few weeks. Um, This morning as I came in, I was thinking about the contrast from Minkara (laughs) to the school canteen from week to week, and... um, We are going to be here for at least two weeks, possibly three, but they're working hard to get it fixed sooner, and um, we're facing circumstances that are sometimes out of our control with the school, and so I want to thank you for your flexibility, and you know, the church isn't the venue, it's never been the venue, it's not the building, it's not the band, it's not the preacher, it's actually the people of God, and wherever we are, whatever space we occupy, we can do church, and so, you know, the Bible says to fix our eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen, so this is what is seen but we fix our eyes on what is unseen, which is a good God. And so thank you. You know, I got a text this week from one of my volunteers. And, you know, because there's always pressure and load on the volunteer team when we have logistical changes like this. And I'm always very conscious of that. And this volunteer, she texted me and she said these words. It just touched my soul. She said, lucky the kingdom of God is worth it. And um, yeah, yeah, lucky the kingdom of God is worth it. But uh, it, it, it ministered to me because it reminded me that it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth the inconvenience and the hassle and the challenges and the changes. And so thank you for that, for that volunteer. You know who you are for seeing the bigger picture and knowing what it's all about. And, you know, as I prayed about this and like, God, the frustration was coming out and they told us it'd be ready and now it's not. And there was a sense in my heart, God was saying, um, I'm in this because in the Western church, we are very comfortable. We don't realize how much our culture and lifestyle is about convenience and comfort. And God doesn't want a comfortable church. There's something about discomfort that forces us to keep moving towards God. And in some ways, we're doing Sri Lankan church today. And if you've been to Sri Lanka, you know the, the fans are on full ball, you're fanning and you're sweaty. And, but also, they don't know from week to week whether they're going to have any issues, whether the Buddhists are going to turn up and cause problems. Or you think about the Chinese underground church that don't know from week to week what venue you're in. And so I want to challenge you as Thrive Church, no matter what happens in the future, no matter what our venue looks like or doesn't look like, let's never be about the scene. Can I challenge you with that? Let's be the people of God wherever we are, the park, the venue. Anyway, get off this. Get on to what I need to preach on. Um, I want to thank uh, Luke and Candice uh, for creating such a great young families dinner Friday night. Awesome. Put your hand up if you were there. It was awesome. It was such a great night. And also to Sarah and Jay for opening up their home. Thank you. It was such a cool night. It looked great. Food was awesome. And uh, to see so many families, how many we have? 43, 44 people there that are uh, not even a part of our church were there. And so such an awesome thing. It was a real gathering anointing on those guys. So thank you. Um, look out for the next one. It was just good to go and relax and hang out with good people, huh? Um, the other thing I need to announce before I get into my message is our reach offering that I promised to share with you. Um, two weeks ago, we took it up three weeks ago, actually, I think it was, um, our missions giving for the year. We took up an offering when we were in Bingara that is to go towards all of our missions activities for this year, locally and globally. And um, yeah, so we took that up and um, over the, the last two weeks. And so I'm pleased to announce you guys raised $14,203 in that offering. Let's not forget, we took up a very significant bushfire offering 
in January as well. So you gave that. So also with what we've already budgeted towards missions, it means this year as a church, we will give $36,762 to missions activities this year. Thank you. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, they're all things that aren't about us. It just goes out and blesses um, local and global things. So we'll give you updates through the year. So, but thank you for your generosity. Thank you for living a life bigger than yourself. And um, we'll hear stories all year of how our giving has impacted people. And um, yeah, keep your eye out for that. So well done, church. It's very, very encouraging, isn't it, Andy? To be part of a church that doesn't want to just focus on us, that thinks about the bigger picture. Cool? All right, we're going to get into our message this morning. And I don't see many fans. There's a few fans waving. So... We've got some airflow going through, and um, next week we'll have some more fans. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll gauge how long the sermon needs to go for by the amount of sweat that starts to pour down and the amount of fanning. So if you start to fan really strong, I'll like, wrap it up, Brad, get the band up. But today we are continuing our What the Health series. Um, our vision for this year is towards greater health, and I'm loving the theme. Loving the theme for my own life and leading you into greater levels of health. And last week, we talked about healthy relationships. And if you didn't get to be in church last week, the podcast is there and the videos online. It was outstanding. I interviewed a wonderful couple from Newcastle and it was just outstanding to talk all things healthy relationships. But today, I want to talk about maintaining a healthy soul. Maintaining a healthy soul. And I want to start by asking you a question today for your own reflection. Um, How healthy is your soul? If I was to have a coffee with you and sit with you face to face, and I was to ask you, how is your soul going? Not not how are your kids going, although that's important. Not how the renovation's going at home. Not how healthy is your bank account balance. Not how healthy is your marriage. All those things are important. How how is your soul? How are you doing on the inside? Um, Of course, what I'm talking about is I'm speaking to that part of us that involves our mind and our will and our emotions. It's our inner being. It's the, the place um, where everything is, our, our, our decisions are made, our, our motivations. It's that psychological part of us that enables us to think and feel and to love and to hate that emotional part of us. How is your soul? How is your inner world? Now, you know, when I studied this, I was like, man, like if you begin to study the soul, it's actually a huge concept. In fact, um, the Old Testament and the Hebrew concept of the soul is an interesting thing. In fact, when you read commentators and scholars, when they talk about the soul, they often, um, the Bible often interchanges soul and spirit together, particularly from an Old Testament perspective. In fact, the Old Testament helps us understand that you are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body from the Old Testament Hebrew perspective. But when we get to the New Testament and the Greek language, it begins to give us some more I guess, clarification around what the soul is because I believe that the Bible teaches that we are tripartite beings. We are tripartite. In other words, we are body, soul, and spirit. And all three of those aspects of who you are are important. Important. Um, And to be honest, if I can get honest with you, I feel like sometimes that the soul gets a bad rap in church circles. It's like the soul is all bad. It's all about the spirit. Just got to get the spirit. The soul is evil. Everything, oh, we, we're soul. That, was, that sermon was so soulish. That church is so soulish. And I feel like it gets an unfair rap because the bottom line is we can say whatever we want about the soul, but you're, you're stuck with your soul. And Jesus talked about our souls being saved. So the soul is not bad. It just needs sanctifying, right? And so we do have a soul. And so we are created in the image of God and God is a triune being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and we are created in his image. And so the health of our soul is actually more important than we realize. So turn with me to 3 John 2 and a verse that you'd be, I, I imagine, well familiar with. But let's just read this verse together about the soul. John is writing to Gaius, who was one of the church leaders at the time. And he writes this, he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. We've been talking about that. And all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Pray that you're in good health, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. That, that phrase, all may go well, literally means to have a good journey, to be led along a path. It's to have a good journey, a prosperous journey, not a perfect journey, not a journey without problems, but a good journey. And I would propose to you today that a good journey in life is directly connected to the health of your soul. It's directly connected. In fact, this passage teaches us that the quality of our lives is actually determined by the internal more than the external. That the quality of your life right now is actually less to do with what's happening around you and more with what's going on inside you. Really important, and this is the opposite of modern Western culture. It's the opposite, in fact, because there are over 7 billion human beings on this beautiful planet. Uh, did you know that? I just realized there's 7 billion people, Peter Thompson. Amazing. But most of them living their lives from the outside in. Most of them living from the outside in. We're spending millions of dollars to build beautiful big houses, to make our bodies look beautiful so we're healthy externally. But my question is, how are you internally? What about internally? The, the world has never been more prosperous, more educated, more connected. Our advances in technology and medicine are unparalleled compared to any other generation in history Yet despite that, we've never been sicker, lonely, and more depressed or more suicidal than ever before. In fact, our lives have never been more fuller, while our souls have never been more emptier. How is your soul? How is your soul today? Because according to John, in this passage, what's inside of us will always eventually overflow into what's outside of us. I was talking to a bunch of leaders last week in Newcastle, a room full of leaders, business leaders, pastors and leaders, and I was talking about self-awareness that I feel like, for me anyway, one of the things I've had to learn is becoming self-aware. So a lot of leaders are very good at understanding what's going on out there, but not many leaders are understanding and actually in tune with what's going on in here. And the more we are self-aware with actually where we are at on the inside, the healthier our lives will be. So I want to look at this this morning, and so I want to ask you, can you sing with confidence the words of that past song? It is well with my soul. I love it. And as I prayed about this this week and how to teach on this, how to be intentional about taking care of our soul, God laid a phrase on my heart that I, kind of caught me by surprise in terms of a direction to teach on this, but I'm going to go with it in obedience to Him. By the way, God speaks when you're in a cafe, just saying that right up front. I find in my life, the pivotal times in my life have been when I've been drinking coffee and leading a dog. And so I'm like, it's just like, keep telling Amy, if you let me get a dog... God speaks more. I'm on this journey of convincing my wife to get a dog and I'm not getting any headway at the moment. I want a dog, but the coffee doesn't change. But anyway, move on, Brad. Uh, I felt him say in relation to your soul, talk about the relationship of the past, the present, and the future. Past, present, and future as it relates to the health of your soul. I'm gonna get you thinking about that today and I'm gonna look at your relationship of your soul to the past, to the present, and the future. Is that okay? All right. So the first thing is the past. Um, what is your soul's relationship to its past? Well, the reality is that all of us in this room are to some degree products of the past. 
all of us are products of the past. Um, we've all been shaped to some extent, to a large extent anyway, by past experiences. And yes, we've been born again in Christ. And yes, we've had a spiritual new beginning. Yes, we are new creation. But it hasn't, doesn't change what actually has happened. You're spiritually born again, but it doesn't change what was in your past. It just gives you perspective. It just gives you a new start. It doesn't void the impact of past experiences. How many of you know when you give your life to Jesus, you still have to deal with things that have happened earlier in your life, even though you were given a brand new beginning? And here's what I know about every single one of you in this room, regardless of whether we've had a long conversation or not. This is what I know about every single one of you sitting in this room under the sound of my voice, is that every single person in this room carries some kind of pain. Some kind of pain. Not necessarily extreme levels of pain, some kind of pain on the inside that's related to something, whether large or small. I don't know all of you that well, but what I do know is by the time you become an adult, you have accumulated wounds to your soul over years and years, over things people said, over things that people have done, over experiences happened, disappointments that you've experienced over and over and over. In fact, you may have heard the expression, death by a thousand cuts. You heard that expression? Was it, you know, that was a Japanese torture method? But they would, yeah, get off that, Brad. It would get right down. You kill somebody by death by a thousand cuts. But anyway, that saying kind of has a metaphoric expression that it's not the one big thing that often takes somebody out. It's a series of small wounds, small disappointments, small offenses, harsh words built up over many, many years, lots of small things that actually are the death of our contentment and the death of our peace. Wounds accumulated to our soul. And you would be amazed if you stopped and thought about how much past pain is affecting your current soul. Let me, I just wrote some things down. How much past pain is impacting your relationships negatively? You'd be surprised. Past pain impacts your emotional world. And it causes certain reactions in you towards certain people and certain situations. You're like, where did that come from? Ever had that? Someone will say something, all of a sudden this reaction comes out, this trigger comes out. Like, where did that come from? because they've triggered a past pain. It's so important to understand that. Previous pain can cause you to become cynical and negative about church and God and life. And you were once passionate, you once believed in it. You know, I heard once someone say it was so helpful, that particularly in the church world, if I can be really honest here, that, um, that cynical people in the church, and it's not because they don't care. It's actually because they once cared. And they, and they had a bad experience that didn't meet their expectations. And so now cynicism has replaced what was once enthusiasm. But it's because they did care. And that helped me, that explanation of cynicism so well. But you've all got that. And so I want to say to you today, if you want to cultivate a healthy soul, you have to deal with past pain. The problem is most of us, including myself, spend our lives trying to avoid it and doing whatever we can to avoid pain. In fact, go as far as denying it. I'm good. I'm all good. She's all good in the hood. But here's what I know. I'm just channeling my, my brother. <laughs> if I start saying y'all, <laughs> but yeah, we're in the cafeteria and get away with anything. Bringing back all those days. I wasn't ever the cool dude in school anyway, so anyway. But here's the thing about pain. It is an invitation, church, to bring Jesus into a place that was once wounded to bring healing. In fact, pain is an invitation. Pain's an invitation to bring God into some area that has been wounded in your past to bring healing. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6, you know this verse. It says, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That doesn't just talk of physical pain. That's all levels of pain. Surely he bore our pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, um, relational pain. He bore all levels of pain, and he took that for our healing. And Jesus wants to heal every kind of pain in your life, including soul pain this morning. So don't avoid your pain. Move towards it because it's an invitation to get healing. It is the opposite of what you naturally want to do. Because from a small age, we have been taught really to recoil from pain. It's like, if I touch that hot stove, I'm going to recoil. And we do the same with emotional pain. It's like, I'm just not going to go there. That person's painful, that experience. I'm just moving away, but you have to move towards it. And I want to be vulnerable with you this morning because... I have had this pattern in my life. And the other week, you might have seen something I posted on social media. I don't tend to get all deep and philosophical on social media. But this night I did because I was cleaning some stuff up in the room. And how many of you know when you go through boxes of memories and things that can be often triggers for the past? And so I was cleaning out some things and I began to find some memories and some books and some things that belonged to my first wife that I knew needed to go to her family that I had forgotten was there. So I was sorting through this. And as I'm going through the box... I discovered an old notepad from like 2001 is when it was, a long time ago. And on this notepad was a bunch of letters and notes that she had written to me, and uh, particularly from when she was in hospital because she had a what's called a bone marrow transplant. And if you know anything about transplants, your immune levels go down pretty much to zero. So it creates mouth ulcers and all sorts of things. And so the only way she could communicate for a period of time was to write on a pad. And so I'd come in, I'd stay on site at the hospital and come in the morning and there'd be notes about what she needed or how her night was. And so we would, I would talk to her and she would write back. And this particular night, I found this, this note on this pad and it was just telling me that she loved me and she'd missed me and the kind of night she had. And I have to be honest, in that moment, I just wanted to do whatever I could just to walk away from it. It's like, it's just too painful to even read it. I just can't go there. I just wanted to close that pad up, put it back in the box, put it at the back of the cupboard and never look at it again. And in that moment, I could feel God, God inviting me in that moment to step towards it. And so in that moment, I made the choice to walk towards the pain, to actually feel it, to actually embrace it. And in that moment, God, the Holy Spirit came into that moment and he began to speak. And he began to talk to me and he began to heal and he began to teach me that our deepest purpose or our greatest purpose is often found from the source of our deepest pain. And he began to bring perspective and I put it on social media and I began to write these words and it taught me that every time I feel a pain, it's an invitation to go further towards Jesus and go deeper and you'll have the same experience in your life. And he never wastes pain. This is not a sermon on pain, I promise you, but God never wastes our pain. In fact, I read this analogy this week and it was so helpful. This person once described that our lives are like a key that's been, uh, like a key that hasn't yet been cut by the locksmith. That we all start out like that and yet as we go through each life, each wound, each failure, each hurt cuts into that strip of metal. But every time we allow God to come in and heal the cut and the wound, one day there becomes a clear click and it unlocks the door of our destiny and our purpose. And it's the painful experience that shape us and create us for our greatest purpose in life. So God never wastes our pain, but it won't unlock your destiny if it never becomes healed. I want to encourage you to get healing in your pain in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this helping you? The second thing is our soul's relationship to the present, to the present. You know, the the human soul is a highly sensitive ecosystem. It really is. 
And you have to cultivate and be intentional about the ecosystem of your soul and care for it on a daily basis. And you can't neglect the health of your soul over a long or consistent basis and expect it to never have any impact on the quality of your life. So many of us are spending hours making our bodies fit and shape. I mean, you're looking at me going, if I have a body like him, you know, that didn't go down as well as I thought. told you I'm in a cafeteria, just feels disjointed, anything could come out. But what are you doing to take care of your soul? Honestly, right now, what are you doing to actively take care of the health of your soul? You were thinking that, man, you're thinking, good shape that dude. It's about the inner, the inner, the inner, the inner. I want to give you three quick points on taking care of your soul in the present, and I want to move through three fairly fast. And look, these are just three things that have worked for me. There are many things to do with cultivating your soul, and that could be a series in itself, but I want to give you three things that you can do to take care of your soul in the present. And the first thing you, your soul will thank you for, if, you, if your soul was writing you a letter and it wanted to thank you, this is what your soul would thank you for. It would thank you for learning how to rest. To give it a break how to rest on a regular basis. And I find that life is about rhythms, rhythms and balance, healthy rhythms of work, rest and play. You gotta get those rhythms right. And once your rhythms get out of whack, your soul becomes unhealthy. And you know, we've all got full lives, driving, some of you are driving to Sydney, renovating houses, dealing with kids, going to do sport, fixing the house, doing everything. But the same way your body needs physical rest, your soul needs rest. It really needs rest. We need a philosophy in life that actually can stop and rest and realize that right now, I am not in control. In the beginning was God. I've said this before. Our name was not there. And he can do more in our sleep than you can do when you're awake. We need a philosophy because resting is about trust. That's a different message. About stopping. And we need moments where we can just stop and disconnect from the business of life and just enjoy the moment we're in. It's so important. You know, God wants you to have rest in your soul, in your soul, not just in your body. But it's very hard to be rested on the inside if you're not resting on the outside. In fact, there's the connection between the two. And when your soul is rested, when you're internally healthy and relaxed, it's far easier to deal with external pressures if your soul is healthy. And sometimes we just need to break. Um, A few weeks ago, I made the decision um, to just take a day off midweek. I come from government background, so government background is all about accountability and time, work hard, every minute is accounted for. And so now that I kind of work for myself, I'm still in those rhythms and patterns that I had from government. Um, Just so you know, if you're wondering, pastors have a tendency to overwork. I know some of you think we work one day a week and play golf. I can't play golf anyway. But listen, pastors and people who build the church like running a business, they tend to overwork, not underwork. So I just wanted to put it out there. And so anyway, I made this decision just to take a, a day off midweek. I had a mentor meeting in Swansea that morning with a mentor, and um, normally I would go back to work. There's always things to do. There's always something to do, a person to call, a message to write, a policy to update, a problem to solve. There's always something to do. And, but I made the call that particular day just to forget about work, to take some soul care. Because to be honest, I've had a bit of a soul, some weariness and tiredness in my soul. And I wanted to say this earlier. I didn't say, you have to watch the theme of your soul because if, the theme, if, you, if you don't watch the theme of your soul, the theme of your soul will become the theme of your life. So I've just had this little bit of a theme of weariness, so I knew I needed to do something about that. Anyway, I made the decision to meet a friend on the lake, and we jet ski, we snorkeled, we fished, we swam, and it was amazing. It was the best thing I could have done. It was just like my soul, just like, ah. we fished the best part of the day 
was that I caught the biggest flathead I have ever caught. No, I don't have a photo, and I want to brag. And yes, I'm bragging to any person who will listen. I have told this story to several people because I don't catch many fishes. And I certainly don't catch many flatheads that are over a meter long. You're waiting for this picture. There's no picture. I'll post it later. Um, But I caught this flathead. It was over a meter long, church. I've never caught a fish that big. Anyway, I texted to Mark Zare later on, who's my pastor, who I know fishes in that lake all the time. He said, that's five times bigger than my biggest flathead ever. And so all of my friends in Newcastle that saw the picture were like, is that legit? No one's caught a a fish that big on Lake Macquarie. I thought I doctored the photo. I don't know if you could do that, make the fish look bigger than what it is. But anyway, Mark said something to me interesting. He texts back, and not to over-spiritualize it, he said, you know, God really blessed your day. He really rewarded and honored that decision, and it was the best thing for my soul. It was so good for my soul to stop and rest. But I want to remind you that the rest is not necessarily the absence of problems. It's the presence of Jesus. And he is the only source of true rest. That's why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Not Netflix, not the cafe. Those things are good on a regular basis. But I will give you rest, and I will give you rest for your souls where you make me the source of all rest. The second thing that your soul will thank you for would be to meditate on a regular basis. What you meditate on, what you fill your mind on, what you feel you're thinking about will actually impact on the health of your soul. You know, meditation is a word that many people only ever associate with Eastern religion. It's like meditation gets a bad rap. Meditation is biblical, church. It is biblical. The psalmist said in verse 12 or 77, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Meditation is so important. And I just want to give you some contrast between biblical meditation and Eastern meditation because they're very different. Unlike Eastern meditation, which advocates emptying the mind, Christian meditation calls us on us to fill the mind. I've read stories of Buddhist monks who go live on a mountain for three months and have solitude. They go crazy. They go crazy. We were never meant to be emptied. We're meant to be emptied of self and selfishness, but we are meant to be filled with God. We're never meant to be emptied. That's a lie. We're actually meant to be filled with God and His Word and the presence of God. Eastern meditation advocates detachment from this world. Christian meditation advocates attachment to God. It's very different. Unlike Eastern meditation, which advocates visualization in order to create your own reality, Christian meditation is meditating on a reality already created by God. Are you getting this, church? That's biblical meditation. The kingdom of God is unseen, but it is real. God told Joshua to meditate on this word day and night, and you will be prosperous and successful. The more you fill your heart and your mind and your soul with the word of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God, the image of God, all of the truth about God, the healthier your soul will be in Jesus' name. The last thing is a little more sensitive, but I want to go there. Who you do life with. Who you do life with. You going okay? You go another 10 minutes? You good? Who you do life with. Who you do life. Your soul will thank you for doing life with the right people. It really will. I cannot overstate on how important quality relationships are to a healthy soul. Doing life with the right people will actually improve the health of your soul. Believe it or not. Go and read any medical or psychology journal and you'll see how important good relationships are for human beings to thrive and prosper. And let me ask you this question. How many of you have those people in your life that are just good for your soul? 
when they call, you don't think, oh God, that person's calling. It's a phone call you want to take. I was going to make a marriage joke there, but anyway, don't do that. Amy's not here. I would have got away with it. But those people in your life that you can be yourself around them and you're not judged. They don't judge you. They accept you. They're people that you can laugh with, relax with, be silly with, be stupid with, be real. You don't have to put up a front or a facade or have it all together with. They're people who don't put unrealistic pressure to you to be what you're not. They're people who validate you and affirm you for who you are. They aren't jealous of you. They're not insecure of you. Those people are soul nourishing. And you have to cultivate those people. And the right voices can actually bring health and healing to our souls. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy to the body. And um, on the other side of it, the wrong voices and the wrong environments can have an adverse effect on the health of your soul. This is a little more sensitive, but if you want to have a healthy soul, you have to be intentional about minimizing wrong voices. You have to. And minimizing wrong environments. And let's not forget if you think that that's not Christian, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did this. Because sometimes we have this idea of Swedish Jesus with blue eyes and the blue sash. Love everybody, accept everybody. Jesus was pretty brutal at times. Let's read what he did in that Matthew 9. I'm on fire today. Matthew 9, watch what he does. There's a leader of a synagogue who comes to Jesus and says, my daughter has died, come and heal her master. And I want you to see what he does. Firstly, he gets distracted and heals somebody else. That's a message for another day. But by the time he gets to the official's home and he gets to the place, watch what he does here. And I want you to pay particular notice to the language. It says in verse 23, when Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. Um, he said, get out, he told them. Doesn't sound soft. Get out. This girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. Watch this. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up and she got this miracle. That voice, that voice, that voice, get out. Because your voices, not you, <laughs> those voices, religious voices, cynical voices, voices of doubt were going to impact the atmosphere of that home. And it was going to impede on the miracle that Jesus wanted to bring. I would propose to you that if you want a healthy atmosphere in your soul, there are some voices you have to say, get out. I'm serious. Not in a harsh, brutal way, but just in a way, I cannot allow your voice anymore to come on the inside of my soul. And I've found as a pastor and as a leader, I've had to be so intentional about that. I've had to guard my soul against cynical voices, against critical voices, against judgmental voices, because I have to keep my soul healthy because I can't lead you to a place of health that I'm not already at. Now, I'm not advocating that you live in a bubble where you just create the reality you want and you just go, anyone I don't like, anyone I don't agree with, stay out of the way. I'm talking about being intentional to minimize Toxic voices and toxic relationships. Be intentional about voice and environmental control. There's a word for all the climate change people. Let's be environmentally sensitive to the atmosphere of our souls in Jesus' name. Amen? And lastly, as the band come and join me, I want to talk about our soul's relationship to the future. 
to the future. Uh, you might be thinking, how does my soul have a relationship to a future that has not yet occurred? <laughs> well, yeah, how does that work? How has the future got any effect on my soul? Well, it's actually more about the presence or absence of hope in the human soul. Hope to the human soul. I want to say hopelessness is toxic to the human soul. I was walking up on Cracknet, and I realize this is a sensitive topic, so just bear with me. But I was walking up on Cracknet on Monday, just prayer walking, talking to God, doing the cracky to Forrester's Beach walk and back, and it's such a beautiful, stunning walk along there, but maybe these signs have been there for a while, but I just noticed strategic points along that walk from Cracknet to Forrester's Beach. There are now like lifeline signs saying, are you in trouble? Are you in crisis? Call this number. And um, I applaud the council for making that decision. It's a great thing to do. And the truth is, is that obviously they are points where people who have come to the end of themselves, who feel like they have no hope, are willing to take their own lives. And it touched me as I saw that, and I thought about that a lot, the conversation about suicide and, and the extremities of what happens when a person gets to a point where they cannot deal with the pain in their past or they feel like there is literally no hope for the future. And I'm not saying that anybody in this room has that kind of outlook. And if you do, we want to help you. If you have that, if, if that's you this morning, you actually have come to a place of complete hopelessness. As a church, we want to come around you and pray for you. But it may not be that extreme. Sometimes we just get to a place where there's no hope that God can change that circumstance. It's like, I believe you, God, that you can do something there, but I don't believe you can do something here. And I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that any area of our lives that has no hope is under the influence of a lie. I love that so much. And hope is always based on the future. That's why your soul has a relationship with the future. Hope is based on what has not yet happened. And we need hope in our souls. And once hope is removed from the human soul for an extended period, the human soul suffers. Go and study Nazi concentration camps. Go and read about those sort of experiences. And the people that didn't make it out of those camps were people who lost hope that there was a greater day and a better day happening. The good news, church, you know where I'm going with this, is that as followers of Jesus, we have a hope that's not based on wishful thinking. It's based on something far greater. We have a hope that doesn't change. Hebrews 6, 80 to 20 says, Therefore, we who have fled Him for refuge can have great confidence, great confidence, as we hold to the hope that lies before us in the future. Before us, watch this, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. This hope, I underline in my Bible, this hope, this hope, not any other hope, this hope, this particular hope. This is a unique hope unlike anything else on planet earth. It's not a hope that's attached to your emotions. It's not a hope that's attached to finances. It's not a hope that's attached to career or secular organizations. It's not attached to anything other than Jesus Christ Himself. And it is eternal and it is secure because hope is only as powerful as to that which it is connected to. I'll say that again. Hope is only as powerful as to that which it is connected to. If your hope is connected to the wrong thing, it won't sustain you. When the storms come, and the tides change and the disappointments come and your emotions swing out of control. It is the anchoredness of my soul to Jesus 
who is eternal, who doesn't change, who is always good. That brings me through every season in Jesus' name. I want you to bow your heads with me for a second. We're done. It is secure. Your soul needs that, church. It needs it so much. I want to finish with one final thought because I want you to notice that verse says that it leads us somewhere. It not only anchors us, it leads us. It says that it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This invisible rope, this spiritual rope that our souls connect to, if you were to metaphorically grab the picture, follow that rope and you followed it down to where the anchor was, you will find that it's anchored within the veil. In other words, the the anchor, the rope, leads you directly to God Himself. It takes you right into the throne room, the very presence of God. And I propose to you that human health is always enhanced in proximity to Jesus. The human soul, the more it exposes itself to the presence of Almighty God, the more we flourish, the more we thrive. We were created for intimate connection and relationship with Jesus. And your soul will thank you when you get up tomorrow and you let your soul soak in the presence of God. You just sit there and let Him love on you. Let Him speak to you. Let Him touch you. He's not there to condemn you. I don't know what you've heard. If, you've never, if you're not a Christian and you haven't heard this message, Jesus is not angry with you. He's not there to condemn you. He's not there to judge you. He's there to love you and forgive you and fill you and make you content and give you peace. And so this morning, I want you to stand with me, church. I would love if we can. Can we sing that song again? We're going to finish on this song. I know there was a lot of material there and a lot of content and I shared a lot. But I know for some of you today, it's been a word for your soul to take care of your soul. And this morning we're going to sing and we're just going to let our souls encounter God. We're going to stand free without condemnation, without judgment. We're going to let go of all the problems and the worries and what's not right and what's not happening. And we're going to gaze on the lover of our souls, Jesus, and sing it as well.